Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Gotta tell you, it's a good day to be a Pew Suter Stan. Last night was a very vindicating evening for me. Something happened? Couple things. Unassisted. Who needs Dylan Larkin when you have Pew Suter to step up to <laughs> step up to the plate? Man, what is going on with this team? I I don't even I don't even know anymore. In the best way, I'm all in. I'm very much like same way I was with the Lions at the end of last season. Uh, I I understand the irrationality of it all. I understand the objectivity and, and the wet blanketness sometimes of the argument, which we're going to get to, and that's our job on this podcast to present things in a balanced way. But I am, I've bought it. I am absolutely ready to be heard again. How about you guys? I am on my inflatable raft, and I'm going up and down with everybody else right now. It is uh, my first thought after the the horn went and Ken called the end of the game. I just thought back to your your quote last episode, Evan, where you said, doesn't matter what the Red Wings think that they're going to do for the playoffs, doesn't matter what they think they're going to do for the trade deadline, the game against Washington is a must-win game. I said that? You, yeah. I know you don't, your memory doesn't actually go that far back, but yeah, you hmm. did say. I it, usually just black out when I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you don't, you don't have the blood for all that. <laughs> so, and the Red Wings did. And uh, you know what? I am... I am here for another Red Wings media team pulling up a uh, montage of us saying that they're likely not going to make the playoffs at the end of the year, just like they pulled up the montage of us uh, being a uh, anxious about the most cider pick when he was drafted. Being wrong in the best of ways is is good fun. So here's to that trend continuing. And to those people who are going to inevitably make the video, I just wanted on record now and to remind everybody, I had the Red Wings ranked higher than these two in our preseason <laughs> rankings. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think my finger might slip and delete that episode. <laughs> Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and the playoff race. Yes, the playoff race in Hockey Town. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we have a lot to talk about. Detroit took on a wild card competitor in the Washington Capitals, a beleaguered team, but Detroit ended up winning the game. Uh, lots happened. Uh, Dylan Larkin got tossed. Uh, Jacob Verona played his first game uh, in a long, long time for the Red Wings. Pew Suter uh, justified my vindication, or ju- sorry, justified my uh, advocacy for for his game. Uh good all-around win by the Red Wings, and they've they've pulled themselves firmly into that playoff spot. Uh, we'll be talking about the decision to play Verona, remove Zadina from the game, uh, or sorry, from the lineup ahead of the game. Uh, the playoff picture. Where are the Red Wings right now? What can they realistically do with the math ahead of them? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about how they got to this point, what's realistic, the upcoming schedule, what they have to do to make it or not make it, um, and then how that all affects the trade deadline. We are... A week and two days away at the time of recording, just a bit less actually if you count the four hours, uh, Steve Eisman has decisions to make. Uh, further to that, Steve Eisman uh, did a rare pre-trade deadline uh, uh, interview where he went on agent provocateur, the uh, Alan Walsh, the the high-powered NHL agents uh, podcast on uh, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. And uh, it was a really great interview. Highly recommend you check it out and we'll talk about some key things that he said in there. Uh, whatever other NHL news we are actually able to get to. And then uh, we will 
take your questions in overtime. Before all that, uh, I want to let you know that uh, we are very, very proud on this podcast to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and we're doing it in a couple ways right now. First off, there's an auction. The link is in the episode description where you can win two tickets to the Saturday, February 25th game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not only do you get two great tickets to that game, you get to meet uh, uh, meet and greet with Ken Daniels up in the gondola where him and uh, Mick call the games uh, just before the game. In addition to that, you also get uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Mickey Redmond signature flannel uh, or whatever other piece of merch that you want. So two tickets to the game, the meet and greet with Ken and uh, the piece of merch. Uh, the link is in the description of the episode. It's going to all proceeds benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It's going to a great cause. Also, Winged Wheel Podcast night slash day this time at the LCA Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's the 1 p.m. game. Thank you, ABC, for flexing that one. Uh, We are very, very close to finalizing the details on the festivities of that event. It's a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. It's going to feature special guest Ken Ken Daniels uh, as well as some other surprises in there for you. There's a meet and greet with the hosts, the special guests, uh, prizes, giveaways, uh, and more. You also obviously get tickets to the Red Wings game at a discounted winged winged wheel podcast rate and a portion of the proceeds all, uh, sorry, portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, More information to come on that, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. I don't want to say they sell out fast. They have sold out. And then we added more and they sold out again and we've added more and I think they're close to selling out again. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP if you want to get your tickets. I thought that game was just going to be a feel-good game, but it's turning into a... uh... Potential uh, playoff clinching type game. Do you think ABC regrets flexing it to the 1 p.m.? They're going to want to move it back. Like it, it's very I, much they booked that with if, that in mind. They, they thought it'd be playoffs. If that happens, could you film your reaction for everyone? Yeah, I'll absolutely Thank do you. that. Yeah. Thank you. That'd be great. It'll be the first time uh, someone will actively film a human being melting into a puddle on the floor, just giving up on holding together as a collection of cells. You ever seen the movie Volcano? Something like that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Speaking of the Detroit Red Wings, the Detroit Red Wings are by points percentage one of the top two teams vying for a wild card spot right now. The Detroit Red Wings beat the Washington Capitals last night three-one uh, on the road to cap off their road trip. They end up winning six of their last seven, uh, four of five on the road trip, and are now in it. What? Well, first of all, I'm disappointed in two things you did right there. Great. Only One, two? Only two. It's a good. It's, it was a good sentence for him. What's going on for both of you? You could have just said, by points percentage, the Red Wings are in a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I, I like by to... By points percentage. Come on, buy into the hype, Ryan. Yeah, yeah you're right. We, I need we, to just... we know what's likely going to be happen in like six weeks, so while we have the opportunity, Ryan... Yeah, that's fair. Get into it. And two, I know when you said to cap off the road trip, you definitely didn't mean to. <laughs> no, I, I did. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we know each other too well. We need a new set of hosts. That's right. If you want to jump on the podcast, you can have my spot. Anyways, I'm just as confused as you are. This was this is the first meaningful hockey we've watched in late February since the Joe. Yeah. Well, you tweeted out that that win was the most important Red Wings win in however long. Six, seven years. Uh, You're completely right. I was so excited. I just smashed a number on my keyboard and I knew it would make sense. You could have said 67 years and I would have been. It was like an 80% chance I was hitting a number that was relevant. Yeah. I 
It genuinely, you, you cannot overstate the impact of that game. Even if the Red Wings end up faltering the moment after we hit publish on this podcast, that genuinely is the most meaningful game they have played since Eisman has been here. That's the most meaningful game that you've played, really, I, I would say since their last playoff series. And even that, just, just by a technicality, because that was at the end of like their competitive years, right? And outside of game three, that playoff series was not competitive. It is a whole different feeling. And it's the kind of feeling that gets you to buy into why the team is going for it. We'll talk about that some more. Let's talk about the game. Very naturally, as we all expected, Robert Hag opened scoring. Yeah, uh, what an unreal feed from Bertuzzi from below the goal line. The fact that he even saw Robert Hag, because he's invisible most of the time, but um, (laughs) (laughs) the fact that he even, he he created the turnover, saw him, and then Robert Hag finished it was just a piece of artwork. Uh, We didn't do a good good enough job last episode talking about it, um, but Bertuzzi's uh, feed to Larkin in the Seattle game, where he grinded along the boards, won the puck battle, and couldn't get a stick free. So Pele'd the puck, like kicked it over to Larkin, who put it in. Like Bertuzzi's done this a lot since he's come back from the All-Star break. Uh, I think it was Dylan Larkin who mentioned that Bert stayed in Detroit to work on his game because since he came back from injury, he was having a hard time shaking off the rust. I mean, he broke both hands, so understandable. Um, And there were some obvious difficulties with him, you know, fitting to a brand new system where he wasn't playing all year. And has it been perfect? No, I don't think anyone in the Red Wings has been, but Bertuzzi has been doing what you just described, Evan, more and more and more, and that's the kind of thing that leads to goals, like winning those important puck battles and and finding players with difficult, you know, high IQ passes from the dirty areas. That's that's what leads to goals, and that's what leads to playoff goals. He's been uh, extremely tenacious on the puck, and then to get it back when he doesn't have it, and then. He can do that one quick turn and he finds guys everywhere who are yeah. just wide open for some reason. It's uh, it's happened quite a few times since he's been back. It's been really nice to see. Yeah. By the way, if you hear what sounds like a freezing rain pattering against your windows, that's freezing rain pattering against our windows. I think we're all experiencing this on Wednesday night for the most part, depending on where you are in the world. So that's what we have going on in the background. Uh, Dylan Larkin ended up getting tossed from that game and it was a... It's almost unbelievable to call it an incidental play, but am I crazy in thinking that that was just one of those plays where Dylan Larkin thought TJ Oshie was a step closer than he was, and he just meant to give him like a cross check up in the shoulders or push him off his lane, and uh, ended up, he was wrong. He was reckless with the stick, let's call it what it is. Caught Oshie square in the face with the cross check. Larkin ended up getting a major penalty. The moment a major penalty is assessed for cross-checking, the game misconduct is automatically added. There's no double minor option. It's minor, major, or match, uh, and the game misconduct is obviously uh, part of the, um, getting kicked out of the game is part of the major or the match penalty. So um, Larkin got tossed from the game. It was announced today that he just got a maximum allowable fine, no supplementary discipline as far as suspensions go. Thoughts on the call? You cross-check a guy in the face. It's pretty black and white. That. There shouldn't really be much debate around this one. You cross-check a guy in the face. I don't care the intention. You get tossed from the game. And then intention can determine the fine or suspension afterwards. And since Larkin very obviously didn't mean to, a fine is fair. Um, yeah, I have, I have no issues with it. It's it's what I... I always look at it this way. 
it's what I would have hoped the call would have been had someone cross-checked Dylan Larkin in the face. Yes. Yeah. The punishment fit the crime, now, I thought. Just because the Red Wings have been involved in several incidents in the past uh, where against them where the NHL did not act appropriately uh, is is a little irritating, but you know, every call you'd like them to get right going forward. So yeah, this was, this was correct. Yeah. It was a little on the nose and I'm not just talking about the co- the cross check, like legitimately the fact that it's happened to the Red Wings and the fact that it's happened to Larkin specifically was like, I think most Red Wings fans were frustrated with the inconsistency. Obviously when a ref is making that call, he's not thinking, well, what was called or not called in April of 2021 or whatever it was. He, that's not how they're meant to think. Uh, but I don't blame Red Wings fans for being frustrated by that, and I don't blame the referees for making the call that he did. Unfortunate, but you just got to be a little bit more careful. I understand. I, I completely, like you can see on Dylan, like he did not want no. to. He felt bad immediately. He had that hand out like, oh, shit. TJ Oshi shouldn't be so good looking. That's really <laughs> what it comes down to. That's right. So one day, Brad and I are going to cross check you in the face to bring you down a couple pegs. All right, fair enough. We can't reach that high. That yeah, gravity works down, so you'd be fighting against gravity. Well, don't tough. don't think too hard, buddy. You got a full episode ahead of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, so you know the Red Wings losing Larkin that early in the game was concerning, and uh, on the ensuing power play, what happened other than Pew Suter goes down the ice for an unassisted goal? Um, that made that made it goals in four of his last five games for Pew Suter at that point. And in the fifth game where he didn't score, he scored the shootout winner against Edmonton. I've been talking a lot about Pew Suter, how I appreciate how he's been contributing to the bottom six and how he meshed well with Sunquist and Zadina and and uh, the way he was factoring to Detroit's game. It all came to a head with this Washington game. And man, did Detroit, that was great, great timing for Detroit for him to to show up now. Pew Shooter. Puce shooter, puce puce, like laser sounds. It was a hell of a shot, too. That was just a perfect shot. You know what that shot reminded me of? When Adam Ernie would do his like one or two a year where he would just go down and absolutely rip one where you're like, who is this guy? Where did that come from? <laughs> no, Adam Adam Ernie always lived high blocker. Yeah, that's this right. Was, this was the inverse. Yeah, yeah. He went like between glove and uh, head, right? Like It was just high, just called high glove. Yeah. Well, I made the right player, right? Like he was given all the lane in the world. Oh, yeah. To let it fly. Yeah. And Sunquist was on his strong side, so he couldn't turn around to one-time it. So take what's given to you, and he certainly did. So the uh, the Capitals ended up getting one back where Tom Wilson scored, um, and then the game's last goal was actually from Pew Suter again, who uh, scored unassisted from this slot, essentially just picked his spot on the uh, bottom left of the net. Uh, a f- few other things happened, but in general, that was the game. 3-1 Detroit. Uh, against a very obviously faltering Washington team. That that team's in a world of hurt. Yeah, I, and uh, it wasn't pointed out a lot last night, but, you know, in the sake of being fair, the Alex Ovechkin-less Washington Capitals, yeah. their power play looked... Horrendous. Awful. Alex Ovechkin should win the MVP just after watching that power play. <laughs> Man who stands in the same spot for two minutes is in, uh, instrumental to their success. Uh, quite literally, yeah. I know they had a power play goal. They but went like, one for three. Yeah, but that was like a fluky point shot that I don't even think Wilson meant to tip. It just kind of hit him. So, like, beyond that one shot, they did not look like they threatened at all on the power play. It was very reminiscent of the Red Wings power play. Just a, 
hey, look, a lot of possession. Nothing's happening. Oh, a weird one went in. Okay. The uh, Nonetheless, the Red Wings needed to win that game. And we talked about that last episode where our very own Evan Lobsinger did say the words, it was a must-win must game for the Red Wings. And they did. Um, whenever I go on a tangent about, oh, you know, the Red Wings, yeah, they win, but it's against weaker teams or whatever, you're often reminded of, okay, but your schedule is your schedule. Winning the must-win games is part of being a good team. And that's what the Red Wings have done this road trip. Yeah, they beat up on Vancouver. They beat up on a... Man, Calgary looks woeful. I watched them against Awful. the Flyers. And, Awful. And uh, they squeezed one out against Edmonton, and now they won against Washington. And you're like, okay, best case scenario is the Red Wings win all of those games and get one of two against uh, Edmonton and, and Seattle, who are good teams. And that's what they did. Uh, the Red Wings got the win. And Huso came back, and after his uh, Seattle game, he had a really solid night. Uh and, and that capped off the road trip for Detroit. Honestly, could not have gone better. I don't think you could have prayed for better than that. I've definitely been very doom and gloom on this team. And then when Dylan Larkin was ejected from the game, you kind of just thought, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. And kudos to the Red Wings. Like, they kind of rallied behind it and and guys stepped up and, and they won the game. Like, <laughs> if you would have told me Dylan Larkin would have been gone in the first, like, 10 minutes of the game and the Red Wings would still win. Yeah fairly comfortably I, I wouldn't have believed you so you know hats off to them for pulling it out they deserve the credit like you can't we, it doesn't matter what the predictions were and it doesn't matter uh you know the fact that the teams are weaker previous iterations of these red wings will have lost these games and that's what was that's what made episodes so or uh you know the fan base so beleaguered and tired and kind of sad watching this team in previous years is they lost the games that they of course were going to lose, but then they lost too many that they weren't meant to. And that's, that's that incremental difference this year. You're kind of right. That's more than usual. The fan base is beleaguered and sad and tired because it's been seven years since the Red Wings made it to a game like this that even mattered. I can't say the Red Wings have ever won or lost a game in their current playoff drought like this one, because they haven't had one like this, this deep in the season. No. It it doesn't matter. Like we're sitting here talking about a game where the only goal scorers for the Red Wings were Robert Hag and Pew Suter. Also, we made the you made the joke about Hag. I will say, since Hag has been slotting into the lineup a little bit more recently, he's looked a lot better than previous versions of Robert Hag that we've seen. Um, obviously, he's been putting in work with this game, so just want to give him a little bit of credit there. But yeah, a game where Robert Hag and Pew Suter are scoring, we're talking about is the most important game of the year or in years, and it's true. That's that's what it means to play meaningful hockey is that the script isn't always going to be perfect but you pull it out however you can well we talked about it last episode what really has got the red wings to this point this year is as good as larkin and cider and raymond have been the red wings at best can only match up to the top lines of other teams they're, they're never going to out you know outperform them outgun them whatever you want to call it yeah um at least playoff teams i should say um the red wings have to out depth teams and that's what they've been doing. Yes. Like, you know, uh, Washington's without Ovechkin. The Red Wings are without Larkin. Literally, that is advantage Detroit. What even though you? even though Larkin is outscoring Ovechkin this year, but now all of a sudden the depth of Washington gets put up against the depth of Detroit. And this year, that is a battle the Red Wings will win more often than not. What is it that you tweeted? The, the, the Detroit Red Wings bottom six is so good. 
Yeah, it's what, what, a, what a time to be alive. I, I thought back, I'm like, it must have been 2013 the last time that could actually be reasonable. Yeah, yeah, because the last couple of times I got to the playoffs was just on the backs of like Zetterberg and Datsuk. The team wasn't good. Or whatever year Jimmy Howard was having. Like it, it Yeah, like that one year Peter Mrazek just decided to be a Vezina candidate almost. We talked about it last episode. It's like, yeah, we've, we've been talking quite a bit about the Red Wings having um, not a lot of high-end elite talent in terms of scoring and that's burned them a few times this year and they still need to resolve that for the future and you can't really add that very easily but you can add very good players you can definitely improve incrementally that way and you do that enough and your middle six and your top six are going to fill out and eventually you're going to have to move them to your bottom six and that's the luxury the red wings have right now that's what they've done so that's what's translated so that's the Red Wings. They won that game and they are now in the playoff hunt upcoming after this episode. They have Thursday night against the New York Rangers and Saturday night against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, both at home. And I know we said the Capitals was a must-win game and I, I that's because the Capitals are in the same wildcard hunt. But if the Red Wings want to convince Steve Eisman to, you know, keep assets and believe in this team to, to make a playoff push, they're going to need to come out of those games with some results. These next two games are definitely measuring stick type games because the Rangers are obviously very comfortably in the playoffs. I would say Tampa as well after Brad reminded me that they're like 16 points up on Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you know. He was wrong. It was actually only 13 at the time. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, they're still measuring stick games, right? Like those are two perennial power uh, playoff teams and the Red Wings will have to show where they match up against them. I don't want to sit here and say two points is good or three points is good. And other than that, then Eisman is automatically going to sell everything. No, that's not going to be how it goes. It's everything is fluid and circumstantial. And I think the Red Wings are kind of in that uh, purgatory right now. Uh, but if they can squeeze out some results against them, then yeah, it, it's, I think they can only stand to benefit um, out unless they completely collapse. But it, it, the the team has been doing a little bit better, I feel, against those teams, the powerhouses this season. Not every time. There have been times where they've very much been caved. You know, Boston usually is the one to expose that, but not as much as seasons past. Yeah, and it's an interesting stretch for the Red Wings because it's two very good teams followed by Ottawa twice. And I know you didn't want to give numbers, but they have to take both those from Ottawa, which means they got to take at least a couple points from these two teams because the Downside of the playoff race right now, as entertaining as it is, there's like five or six teams competing for two spots. So at almost all points, a team will be on, you know, at least some variation of a heater. They need five to six points to maintain pace. A exactly. Because even if Pittsburgh falls off or Washington falls off. Here comes Buffalo, Buffalo on a heater. The Islanders get going. So it's, you don't have to be, you know, on the five and one run that the Red Wings are now constantly but you can't be below a four and two at any point or you're going to fall out of it quickly. And that's the unfortunate reality that we often forget about when it comes to good teams making the playoffs. Yeah, that, that's what happens when you have to make up ground, right? Like you can't, you have to outperform what you think you're capable of just to get back in the hunt and then try and surpass these teams who can play just 500 hockey. Now, the truly weird thing about this circumstance that it, it almost feels wrong to be in this situation, but it's very nice that we're not, is there's no hoping or praying here. The Red Wings control their own destiny. Yep. By points percentage, they are in a playoff spot. So if they at least match 
everybody below them the rest of the season, they're in. That That's where they're at. They just can't fall below them. But like I said, with the number of teams chasing them, everybody at some point is going to be on a 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one run. Yeah. So the Red Wings have to match that. We'll get there in a second. I do want to talk about... Um the the decision to play Jacob Verana, he did get in the lineup, uh, and the fact that it was Philip Zadina who who came out. Uh, so first off, Verana was called up during the road trip. Uh, the Red Wings obviously went on there, were in the middle of their tear at this point. They didn't want to shake up the offensive group. He wasn't able to get in. Uh, but as uh, Lucas Raymond still wasn't ready for the Washington game, uh, Derek Lalonde said that they were keen on getting uh, him into the lineup, and they just weren't sure on who to pull out. Uh, Suter and Zadina and Sunquist were playing really well together. We speculated last episode that, or we said, I, I honestly gave him my opinion. I said, I would probably do Sunquist. Um, I was thinking very narrowly about the Seattle game where he had a few misses, and I thought, mm, maybe that didn't land well, or maybe they would just want to move that around. No way it would be Suter. Kubalik is uh, sometimes hot or cold. Um he did just have a two goal game, but still I did mention Zadina. Uh, I thought, yeah, he's a guy who just came back from injury. So I could see them pulling him out. But then we said it wouldn't really be great for his confidence, but lo and behold, it, it, the decision was Philip Zadina. So my initial reaction was first off more than anything, I'm just thrilled that Verona was able to get a game before going back to Grand Rapids. Whenever that is, I'm, I'm with our luck, probably we'll post this episode that he'll go down. Um, it's just most important that he was able to get in, I think, for his confidence more than anything. Like, it's nice for him to get an NHL game. He's obviously been working at it. Uh, and qualifying with, it doesn't matter. It's not the end of the world. This is a fourth line, like, 11-minute type of thing. Uh, I didn't love the fact that it was Zadina coming out. I thought he's been playing really well. He's been really confident in his game, and we know how far that goes for him. But... Then you think about it, Sunquist plays special teams. Zadina wasn't on special teams. Zadina's playing like, what, 12, 13 minutes a night maybe? It makes sense. You don't have to love it, but in my mind, it did make sense. I didn't really think too much about it, though, just because it wasn't really going to be move the needle. That could just be me, though. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it was a pretty inconsequential move because obviously Verona is still a pretty good player, so you're putting in a pretty good player. So if you're pulling out a pretty good player, it's net whatever Zadina a guy who's had so many issues with his confidence so I don't know if he's the guy that you want to do that with because he probably would struggle to get the confidence back more than other players would and obviously there's something to be said hey man you're in the NHL learn to deal with it very fair I have no argument here on that one but he but, but Zina, Zadina after the nightmare start he had to the season before he got hurt was putting put together a really nice half dozen games since he got back. And it wasn't like the typical Zadina, okay, yeah, he's playing great, but where are the numbers? He had three points in those six games. He was a half a point per game guy playing on the fourth line. It was a great comeback. And I think he had a, actually, it was a two-game point streak going into him getting scratched. So, again, I understand nobody deserved to come out of the lineup to get Vron in. Everybody on that forward group was playing well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that it, but that includes Zadina. So it's very easy to dismiss it. Go, well, if everybody was playing good, yeah, pull Zadina. Okay, well, Zadina was playing good. So he was one of the guys who didn't deserve to come out. Uh, there's no good answer here. I need everybody to understand that. That's the, that's that, the tagline to all of this. There was no good answer here, but for the extenuating circumstances and the fact that a guy who struggles with confidence 
was on a good run building some confidence. That just seemed like the wrong guy at the wrong time more than anything else. And I mean, Verona came in and he, he played fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, uh, he didn't, he had a couple chances, had one really nice pass to Perron, had maybe the best back check of the night yep. of any Red Wings forward. So he was good. He didn't look out of place at all. Um, but yeah, it's going to keep happening game after game where we're going to be sitting here going, all right, who comes out now? And we won't have a good answer. Honestly, I think a rotation's probably the answer at this point. The spoiler is this is what good teams are facing all the time. And there will reach a point in this podcast where we're not talking about which fourth line player was scratched more than a quick second. Yeah, we won't care. Uh, honestly, uh, I thought about it some more too. Outside of the the special teams thing, another thing is Zadina came back from a pretty gnarly broken leg where I know the recovery was tougher for him. Rest probably didn't hurt. Either. I'm hoping that's what this was. Just, yeah. hey, Phil, how's your leg feeling? Pretty sore. All right, take the night off, man. Yeah, like it is what it is. Uh, anyhow, that's that. Jacob Rana, yeah, I agree. Played, uh, you know, a fine game. He didn't go out there and light it up. Obviously, would have been a great storyline if he could, but he worked his butt off in that back check. So you can tell, you know, he's been listening to the the feedback from coaches in Grand Rapids and and in Detroit, showing that he's uh, uh, grinding and playing, working to play better off the puck every shift being defensively responsible. And he covered, it was a cider lost his footing and slipped. Just, so, yeah, blew an edge. Yeah. So he, he covered for cider and, and helped, um, Husso still ended up having to make a save, but he yeah, it's because the next back checker blew the assignment. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he, he had his guy, a couple opportunities go a different way and he gets on the scoreboard or, or gets an assist, but yeah, fine game from Verona more than anything. I think for a guy who's just been through it all this year, it's nice to see him get rewarded with a game. Uh, obviously there's a lot going on there for him and I hope he feels, um, I hope he feels good and I hope he feels proud of himself for getting himself back into an NHL lineup this year for uh, a guy who went through the player assistance program and everything that he's been through to do that and still end up wearing the winged wheel, at least for a game this year. That's, that's no small feat. So massive, massive credit to Jacob Verona continue to root for him, whether or not he's going to get more games upcoming or if he's going to have to wait for, you know, another opportunity or whatever's next. Um, just as a, on a human level, I'm, I'm, I'm proud and I'm happy for him. Me too. This is a quick splice in. Uh, Jacob Rana was indeed sent down to Grand Rapids. It happened after we finished recording, and it was only the moment we were recording the Patreon exclusive where Jacob Rana was sent down to the minors. So uh, that said, quick thoughts from you guys. Just a quick minute here. Uh, Verona going down obviously means Lucas Raymond is probably ready to return on Thursday. Initial reactions. I don't like it, but... Someone had to go down. Nobody deserved to go down. He already spent so much time in the minors and they very clearly didn't seem to have much of a plan for him when he was up. So sure. I'll say he was up as Lucas Raymond insurance. He did get a game in. Um, I wish he was able to play more circumstances dictated that he wasn't able to. Like it or not, this is, in my mind, unsurprising. I thought maybe he'd stay a little longer, but it was always going to be dictated by when Lucas Raymond is ready. Very obviously, he's going to be. Can probably expect him for Thursday. If not, he'll be close to Saturday. Um, like we talked about with Zadina, there's never an easy decision. They probably want Verona to do a lot more work. Do I wish there was a world where he'd be up? Yeah, but again... The Red Wings are almost completely healthy right now. So nothing is really going in Jacob Verona's favor in that respect. So 
it kind of just is what it is. Yeah, he showed well in the game that he got in, and I'm glad he did get a game in. He he sees the opportunity with the time that he was given in the game time, the game he was put in. So all the best to him, and I, I, he's he's on the upward trend, which is the be- most important thing. Yeah. So uh, that story is still very largely um, unwritten, like you you alluded to, Evan. There's a lot to be decided with him. Uh, I'm happy he got the game. And uh, I'm sure that this isn't a nice feeling for Jacob, but to come back what he's come back uh, to come back from what he has come back from this season is no small feat. So uh, I don't wish injury upon the Red Wings roster by any means, but as roster openings come up, I do hope he gets further opportunities. So now an interesting wrinkle in all of this, uh, and credit to Frank Saravalli who was uh, able to to kind of piece it all together. First of all, Verona was sent down, and he's. Uh, not subject to waivers because he has recently cleared. Uh, he is part of an exemption because, uh, and this is pulling from Cap Friendly, a player doesn't need to pass through waivers if they have not been on the NHL active roster for a cumulative 30 days since last clearing or has not played in 10 or more NHL games. Uh, and that obviously is Verona on both accounts. Now, Frank Zaravalli said, uh, on Verona, my understanding is this move isn't to accrue additional cap space, but to reduce the number of days on the roster before waivers might be required again. So yes, Verona was technically sent down to Grand Rapids. Yes, that could still happen in practice, but um, there is also the possibility that this is just trying to minimize the amount of those accrued days to keep Verona's waiver um, exemption status for as long as possible. So uh, though it does look like Raymond is ready to return, and yes, that would potentially squeeze Verona out, uh, there could be a twist in here. Eiserman and Lalone could want to keep Verona in, and this is just a kind of paper move to minimize that. So uh, we'll know more on Thursday and again on Saturday. So uh, another wrinkle in the Verona saga. There's that. Thank you for allowing us this quick splice in. Back to your regu- regularly scheduled programming. All right. Uh, the playoff standings currently in the wild card spot, the New York Islanders, 60 games played 65 points, 542 points percentage. The Florida Panthers, 60 games played 64 points, 533 points percentage. Detroit Red Wings are two spots out of that 56 games played. So four fewer than the two wild card teams, 554 points percentage. They have 62 points. Pittsburgh has the same amount of games played and has just one more point than them. So by points percentage, the two wildcard teams could be, depending on how they work with their games in hand, Pittsburgh and Detroit. Just behind Detroit are Washington and Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo is really close in points percentage. And Ottawa trending downwards, but still not out of the mix. They're 7-2-1 in their last 10, mind you. I'm glad you brought up Ottawa. Because not only do the Red Wings play them twice next week, they just made a trade. Who'd they trade? Nikita Zaitsev and a second round pick to the Chicago Blackhawks for Patrick Kane. future considerations. So they just cleared a bunch of cap room. For what? Eric, tell me they're bringing Eric Carlson back. As much as I would hate that because it would be in division, I would love that. If they bring Eric Carlson That'd be back. be wild. Oh boy. So... Basically, a, a pure cap dump by Ottawa to unload Zaitsev and a second-round pick. Because you're not unloading a second-round pick unless you're planning on doing something. So, 
I'm I'm curious to see if they have something in the hopper or this is just to have it in their back pocket for something else. Chikrin? It would make a lot of sense for Ottawa. It really would. Chikrin makes a sense for a lot of teams, though, because he's got some term and he's cheap. Uh, but that would make sense. I, as a, much like you, Brad, as a guy who loved watching Eric Carlson at the top of his game and is enjoying this season, again, you don't root for teams in division, but the poetic storyline of seeing Carlson back in Ottawa that Ottawa fans have been through a lot. And I kind of think yeah. that they deserve that. Yeah. And like, I don't think it's this, but it would be fun. It's like the Sabres. Like you hate that you're in division, but it's a team that's gone through a lot. So it's hard to hate them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I look forward to hating you in the future. I- exactly. Like when uh, Ottawa, Buffalo and Detroit are running this division. Okay. Then, you know, yeah. Screw you guys. But in the meantime, you know, some good storylines don't hurt now and then. So with the 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 Red Wings right now, I think the team's firmly in the mix. Let's talk about some storylines. Florida is continue. They're a roller coaster. Barzell's out week to week. New York Islanders are out. Uh, they were missing Matt Barzell for a considerable amount of time. That is that's points off the board in the standings for them. Pittsburgh. I don't know. I look at the teams around Detroit, and it's so easy for us to get in the weeds about Detroit. That's that's the team that we follow the closest, obviously, and we're like. Here are the deficiencies. Here are the holes. Here's what's not going well for them. Yeah, they won these games, but does it really matter? Blah, 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 because these teams are bad. But you look at the teams around them. Washington going through it. Bad. Buffalo up and down all year. Ottawa, they have a goalie with no legs anymore. Like that was Cam a horrific Talbot's injury. back this week, I think. I just read. Islanders are missing their most important player. Florida either can't get goaltending or their team isn't clicking. Like Pittsburgh is... Uh, the the storyline is what has Hextall to do to surround Crosby and Malkin with the core that they need to actually maximize. Like every team that's competing for a wild card spot right now has a storyline that's not dissimilar to what the Red Wings have gone through. And looking at these standings, yeah, Brad, it's a good point. One, two, three, four, five, at least five teams, maybe six if you want to give Ottawa credit that are competing with Detroit for two spots. You can't overlook that. Yes, Detroit has a games in hand, but so does Buffalo, for example. But you cannot deny the fact that the Detroit Red Wings have bootstrapped themselves into a playoff spot, regardless of the holes on their defense, regardless of their lack of high-end elite scoring, regardless of whatever negative storyline that you know we've talked about or that you can drum up. The Red Wings have made this interesting, and they are firmly in the mix. They are in the driver's seat. Yep. As long as we don't have uh, the drop-off after the trade deadline. That's all I ask. The two, e- yeah. Either tank the next four games or keep yeah. going the whole season. The the two biggest threats in my mind are the first one being Pittsburgh because Crosby can just will teams into the playoffs. We've seen it time and time again. So for me to count that team out at any given moment is a mistake. And the other one to me is Florida. Like the only real downside I think with Florida right now, unless I, well, maybe I don't know something, which is highly <laughs> likely, <laughs> um, is the fact that they just can't get their act together. Like, could Sasha Barkov just go otherworldly and, and will hit that team in? Yeah. Could Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight figure it out? Yeah. Like, to me, those are the two biggest threats. There's a lot of negative storylines around, obviously, now the Islanders. Um, Buffalo seems to have really faltered. Uh, the um, Washington clearly is not the same team without Ovechkin. Um so those are the two biggest threats to me. The other teams seem to sort of be stuck in the mud a little bit. 
based on the points percentage right now with, you know, 555, let's say 563 is where Pittsburgh is at. Let's say a five, let's say a 580 points percentage is what gets you in. That works out to roughly 95 points. So the Red Wings in their remaining 26 games need 33 points. In how many games, sorry? In 26 games, they need 33 points. That's a tall task. It's not far off the pace they've been playing at all year. But this is such a, like this sec, this grouping of teams is so unbelievably streaky one way or the other. It, I feel like it could go any direction. And it, it could end up being where the bar is lower than that, right? For the, the second wildcard spot. There's also an opportunity here. Like we keep talking about the second wildcard spot. It was pointed out to me and uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, on the side here. The Redmonds could end up in the first wild card spot. Like they are That'd be huge. Avoiding Boston in the first round would be massive. Then you're probably getting Carolina at that point, which is not going to be take, fun. I'll take that any day over Boston. But it could also be Jersey or the Rangers. You never know how that division's going to end up. It's not so far apart. Um, but yeah, you take that over Boston for sure. Especially with how Detroit has matched up against Boston. Not that they've you know killed the other teams, but still. The Red Wings have a tall task ahead. That hasn't changed. Their schedule ahead is very, very difficult. It's kind of funny because pre-trade deadline, yeah, they have New York and Tampa. Those will be tough games, but they have Ottawa twice and then Seattle. So actually, you know what? That's three tough games and two beatable ones against Ottawa that they should take. After that is the Islanders. The Islanders right after the trade deadline is funny because that's going to have a massive impact. But then, you know, in the month of March, they have Boston twice in a row. They have Colorado. They have Florida, which will be big. They have Pittsburgh, which will be big. They have Carolina and Winnipeg at the end of March, which is not going to be fun. St. Louis back-to-back, though, after they sell everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless for some reason they get Timo Meyer, which is the most nonsensical rumor I've seen. Like, yeah, let's sell all our pieces and then just acquire, guys. I could see it. Why not? Oh, I could see it. I don't think it's nonsensical because St. Louis has, uh, they have, what, three first-round picks right now? And they yeah. want to get in on Thomas and Cairo's timeline. Why not speed it up? Yeah. Yeah, but if they get Meyer, they don't have three first round picks anymore. So I would I would move at least one of those to guarantee that you got a team of Meyer, if that's me. Oh, you would need to move more than one of them. I think you can get away with moving one and then other crap. If you can get Timo Meyer for only one first round pick and some other crap and Detroit doesn't do that, we riot. They are their their picks aren't as good as Well if I know Louis's. anything about Steve Eisenman, we will eventually get Timo Meyer through St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's a good point. It's all fine and dandy. Anyhow, with Detroit's playoff standing right now, my obvious take here is that, or, or, or my my end take here is that doesn't matter how unlikely it has seemed. They've won six of their last seven. They went four and one on their on their road trip. They've pulled themselves into the conversation. And by points percentage, like you said, Brad, they're in a playoff spot. Has this made you a believer? Define believer. Do I believe it can happen? Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm, on, I'm firmly in the boat of go for it. This is definitely a real possibility. Do I have that possibility above 50% yet? I don't know if I'm there yet just because of the remaining schedule. I, I don't have a lot of faith in this team to get several wins against the Tampa's, Boston's, Colorado's of the world. I think they can compete. I think they can hang. But we're past the point of moral victories, and we've seen the Red Wings struggle to take out the truly elite teams in the NHL this year. 
but it might just come down to a war of attrition. Whichever team stays the healthiest yeah. gets it. Because, again, look at the Islanders roster for tonight. I, I dare you to go look at their first lineup. line. First liner, Matt Martin. It Evan's not joking. I'm not joking. Go dye your hair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's being very literal. The The Islanders right now are decimated. The Penguins are a million years old, so they're never a guarantee to stay healthy. <laughs> Sabres are very young and inexperienced. Like, I don't hate the Red Wings' chances. Again, I think that even though a lot of the teams around the Red Wings in this race have, we'll call it more obvious flaws than Detroit. They also have more upside in some instances, like Pittsburgh has Crosby. Florida has Barkov. The Sabres have Darlene and Thompson. Like they, they have those top end threats the Red Wings don't have yet. But if the Red Wings can out depth teams, they could, and I would argue should get in. Like if, if this truly does turn into a war of attrition, the Red Wings probably are the favorites out of this group. But like I said, they don't have that switch they can flip like a lot of these teams do. Yeah, there, there's certainly the the tortoise in the hair, right? Like the Red Wings are just steady Eddie. If they can stay healthy, they can just maintain, you know, staying in the middle lane of the highway. Some people are passing them, but they're passing most people. Um, am I a believer? Like I said at the start of the episode, I'm the guy in the wave pool and my floaty my floaty toy just cruising up and down with everybody else. So I don't know. I originally at the start of the season I had them finishing seventh in division. That is still very much a possibility. They could also make the playoffs. I don't know how to feel I don't know how to feel anymore. I've never been more confused, and that is saying something. <laughs> when Boy, I say is it that, ever. that means something. So if, I have no idea. If you knew what it took to get Evan to consistently understand when we were recording this podcast, <laughs> you'd understand the gravity of that statement. I'm not going to sit here and say, yes, the Red Wings are definitely going to make it, or no, the Red Wings are definitely going to be out. I will say that if have you been made a believer means have you been made a believer that this team can truly do it and not just like, a, oh, anything can happen couching statement. Yeah, I think this team truly has what it takes on the roster right now to do it. And one other thing I want to add, it's not just that they have what it takes on the roster. This roster is dialed in. Brad, you talked, Brad and Evan, you both talked about what other teams have that the Red Wings don't. And that objectively is a fact. You can like or not like what we're saying. Objectively, the Red Wings don't have a Barkov. Objectively, the Red Wings don't have a... Uh, a Crosby or Malkin. Objectively, if you look at the you know powerhouse teams, they don't have Kucherov, they don't have Pasternak, they don't have Vasilevsky. But what the Red Wings do have is a compilation. Q Suter. That damn right, Brad. <laughs> Thank you for thinking for me today. <laughs> but Derek Lalone deserves a lot of credit for how he's got this team dialed in. He's working with what he has. Yeah, Vili Husso absolutely has to be the best version of himself for the Red Wings to make it. And yes, Dylan Larkin playing the best hockey of his life has contributed to this. And yes, Tyler Bertuzzi, hopefully returning to form consistently, which is what we've been seeing, is instrumental and, and necessary for this to happen. But Derek Lalone has his team playing hockey that can get them to win games, grind out games. They just played a game against a wildcard opponent without their best player. Without two of their best players in Larkin and Raymond. Two-thirds of the top line, literally. And Derek Lalone's Detroit Red Wings have been winning these games 
way more often than previous versions of the Red Wings. And I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, knock on, Je this isn't a Jeff Blashell thing. It's credit to Derek Lalonde for getting this team dialed in, getting this team playing winning hockey in ways where even if you don't have those high-end tools, you can still squeeze out wins and get points on the board. We can talk until the sun comes up about, oh, should they have one on paper? Or do they have this or that? doesn't matter. The Red Wings just walked away with six of their last seven wins. That's 12 points on the board of 14 that, you know. Proves in the pudding. On paper, expected goals, whatever. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't have won 12 or 14 points, but they did. Yeah. So Suck on that. That's that was gonna be my last lines. <laughs> it, it genuinely like that is that is a credit to the Red Wings team that has pulled together and is playing like a team that that's learning how to play winning hockey and that's Derek Lalonde pulling them pulling them in. So for all of that, that is why I'm a believer that the Red Wings have what it takes on their roster right now to do it. Is it a guarantee? No. Are we gonna have a damn fun time watching? Absolutely. Yeah, the Red Wings are well. They're above 500 in the NHL's fake 500. But they're only two more wins away from being at real 500, yeah. which is crazy because it's been a long, long time since they have even flirted with that number. Um, so more about the trade deadline coming up. And, and I want to preface this by talking about um, Agent Provocateur, uh, the podcast hosted by Alan Walsh on the SDPN. They had Steve Eisman on and it was a really great interview. We recommend you go check it out. Uh, but Steve Eisman talked about a lot of things that I thought were really, really interesting just to pull some highlights without spoiling the whole interview. Um, he talked about their, his trade deadline plan and how it's done. It's something that he picked up from Ken Holland, uh, essentially in your, your mid season meetings, scouting meetings, all of that in January is when they kind of map up, map out what they think their deadline plan is going to be. And you make adjustments as the season goes on. And, and he can Holland said, that's what he's had to do. He talked about being buyers and being sellers, um, and he acknowledged that the Red Wings are somewhere in the middle. So what we're talking about here isn't, you know, completely out of left field. Everyone and the decision makers on the Red Wings understand that they're in this kind of purgatory space. So he acknowledged that, you know, they're not going to be going out there and trading their best assets for rentals, like maybe some buyers are. They're not there, but he is open to uh, uh, exploring those options if it's for players who would stay on the team long-term after. That would be part of the future of the team. So, you know, it's not likely. Timo Meyer and Jacob Chikrin, let's go. Wow. I mean, <clears throat> the extreme example would be those guys, right? I don't want people out there saying, yeah, Steve Eisenman said he's gunning for Timo Meyer. That's No, that's exactly what Ryan <laughs> wants you to say. <laughs> you, you can quote Print him it. directly. <laughs> yeah, my handle is at HockeytownEvan on Twitter. <laughs> Every tweet at it will be read. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. A fine tooth comb. <laughs> hey, you're almost done your reading courses, buddy. You'll get there one that's day. That's right, that's right. Uh, but, you know, that has now moved into a range of possibilities where if there's a really good player that could help the team now, but also checks the box of can stay with the team long term, the, the Red Wings are in that space. So... It really does seem like Eisman is is treating this on a game by game basis. He talked about how the deadline is only you know so many days away. Someone pointed out to us they're like, "Hey, can someone remind Brad that March third is only like a week and a bit away?" I think we refer to it as a few weeks away sometimes because I think the passage of time is really difficult. I think I said like two and a half weeks, which wasn't terribly far off. It's coming up fast. I know it's next week. <laughs> <laughs> There's what. Four or five games. There's like nine days. Yeah, it's uh, it's very very close. But 
that's that's kind of how Eisenman is is viewing it. Some other things before we talk about you know where he moves from that purgatory space. He did also acknowledge something that we talked about last episode. Uh, he said the same thing, which is that you know there's a business aspect to this. So like I said, even though it's not popular, even though people don't like to think about it, there is a business aspect to this. And he doesn't just mean you know long term. It's better to get the team experience. Uh, it's better for the young guys to get them in the playoffs and get them to understand what it's like to play those games. And he did say that, but he also said, you play meaningful games post-trade deadline, the building is going to be filled. You're going to get more walk-ups at the gate. You're going to get more season ticket uh, reservations and, and buyers, like revenue. He was talking about revenue. And that's, again, you don't have to love it, but it's a reality of that kind of decision-making from general managers. Now, all of this is qualified, but he is, of course, going to analyze where the team is at and what they need. And is there a way to help them? Or, or you're not just going to go and blindly try to make the playoffs just for a few extra bucks, but it's part of the consideration. So all of that in, what do you make of where the Red Wings are at, you know, X number of days away from the trade deadline? It's just over a week here. What do you do? It's so tricky because on one hand, the Red Wings have, as we've talked about depth. So if Eisenman is talking about paying a fourth round pick for a third line winger, I don't think that accomplishes anything on the team. I don't think that would be a significant upgrade, but on the other hand, the Red Wings don't need more third, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. We've talked about, they've got all the depth in the world on this team. They've got all the depth in the world in the system. They just, they need the high end guys. So who gives a crap about that depth? And I know that's, I'm saying that pretty flippantly, but that's essentially what it boils down to, right? We don't need more bottom six forwards and bottom pairing D. They have the world of those and not just they have them. They have quality versions of those. Um, because again, I know this is coming from the guy who always preaches upgrades, upgrades, upgrades. Yeah. But they have very strong players in those positions right now. So I don't think that's it. When it comes to selling, again, we talked about this last episode, so I won't go into too much detail. There is a line, like, and we refer to this with Bertuzzi, but it applies to every player where it's worth keeping this guy to at this price because it's more valuable to the young guys to get this experience than it does the assets we would get. Everybody's line on that is different, and and there's no sense getting into the nitty-gritty on that because Eisenman's could be here, mine could be here, yours could be there. Whatever, who cares? Everybody has that. A first round pick for Tyler Bertuzzi, is that more valuable? Like, let's say 30th overall, is that more valuable than a playoff series for Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, Joe Valeno, et cetera? I could hear either side of that argument, so I won't get into it. Where I think this makes the most sense for the Red Wings, I said it as a joke, but it's legitimate. If the Red Wings are going to make noise at this trade deadline, it should be Timo Meyer. I understand there's a million teams competing for him and the odds are very long. Hell yeah. It solves the, not solves, but it greatly aids in the biggest problem this team has had, has they now. another Swiss. Exactly. Exactly. Pew Suter, you're getting a friend, buddy. You can't miss with the Swiss. Um, but we've talked about the, they don't match up against the other playoff teams at the top of the lineup. Timo Meyer helps with that. The Red Wings have all the depth in the world that they could put together a very reasonable package and outbid teams for Timo Meyer. Again, it comes down to what is Timo Meyer worth and are you going to pay that? Yeah, right now San Jose is asking like New Jersey for Dawson Mercer and Carolina for Seth Jarvis. So the price is astronomically high at the moment, but it's it's how like 
we have a week plus before the deadline. The and if that's the asking price though of the Red Wings, they should they should consider it. Timo Myers don't grow on trees. Is um, I know we've talked about this in a couple different group chats we're in, but Jonathan Bergeron, is he going to turn into Timo Meyer? No, he won't. No, but he'll, he'll be very good. He'll be very good, but he's not going to be Timo Meyer. So if he's part of their ask? If he's part of their ask and say it's a 2024 first Bergeron and pick two pretty good prospects, I don't care which ones you pick. I would take Casper and Edmondson off the table and everybody else could be in the conversation. Again, you're getting a player of Timo Meyer. You have to give up quality. So if you're sitting here going, I can't trade Carter Mazur, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, but this is how you get premium talent in the NHL. You have to give up players you don't want to give up. Sorry. But the Red Wings should be in in that conversation. Now, I think what's ultimately going to happen here, and it, it might be the right course, is not much of anything. Yeah. Maybe the Red Wings trade a depth piece to get, I don't know, something. Maybe they acquire another depth piece to replace that guy because they feel it's a slight upgrade. Sure. I think it's going to be a pretty quiet deadline. You have a team as it stands now that could probably, not probably, but has a good chance to slip into a playoff spot. They have enough enough depth that if a couple guys get hurt, they're not screwed. They don't need to go get a Nolachari because they're one injury away from this all falling apart. They're not in that position. That's one of their strengths. That is that is their strength. Yeah. So if Iserman is talking about buying at this deadline, don't half-ass it. Go all in. Because again, I agree with Iserman and everybody with half a brain listening to this. Rentals, don't even look at them. Don't Doesn't consider. apply to you, Evan. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. What about yeah. rentals? No rentals. Okay. Maybe <laughs> rentals, though. But no rentals. But no, yes. Yeah, so, like... They don't need depth. If if you're going to buy, buy someone with term and buy them at the top of the lineup. If they want to get on Jacob Chikrin, makes sense. They have a hole on the left side. They could upgrade there. You want a top line forward, go get one. And again, I'm I'm referencing these two guys because I don't know who else in that category of players even available. Eric if Carlson. Anybody. Okay, Man, if you could make the money work, sure. But that's seven. You have to trade away your next seven fourth round picks because everyone had to hold on to yeah, 25%. Exactly. <laughs> Arizona, Minnesota, San Jose, and Ottawa all have a Red Wings fourth round pick to make this work. To me, the problem is that the, the moves that Eiserman's somewhat describing don't typically occur at the trade deadline. They're those off-season or early season yeah. post-training um, camp type moves you make to fill a, a part of the puzzle. And the other problem I think I have with, you know, going after a Timo Miner and a Jacob Chicken is everybody else's. Yeah. Which I mean, yes, obviously. Yeah. You would should be a part of that depending on what it's going to cost. But I think the cost is astronomical because everybody wants in on it. And I'm not sure that those are the right moves right now for this team to win one, two more playoff games at this time. Well, any trade Eiserman makes at this deadline, though it would help this season, should not be made with this season in mind. The no, Red Wings, and I think he said that. Yeah, because the Red Wings right now, as we talked about, have a roster competing for a playoff spot. They're, unless something goes catastrophically wrong, they should be competing for a playoff spot. They should be um, playing meaningful games into April as long as they don't sell and they stay reasonably healthy. So you're not trading for a Timo Meyer for this run. Because even with Timo Meyer, do they take more than a game or two from the Bruins? Almost certainly not. So 
if NHL players played 80% of the game like they like the stars do in other leagues, yeah, that would make a lot more sense, but they don't. So I don't know. Everyone is loading up right now, and that makes me very terrified for what the asking price is for the legit, like top trade bait level players. And I don't honestly, I, I just don't feel the Red Wings should be involved in that. Well, here's here's the advantage the Red Wings have in these scenarios, though. And again, to varying levels of how comfortable are you doing this? The Red Wings first round pick this year or next year, probably going to be a better pick than the teams they're competing with. The prospect system is the Red, Wing ha- Red Wings yeah. have. Well, according to Scott Wheeler, it's the third best in the league, and the two teams ahead of him are not going to be bidding for these players. Congrats to Scott. Just had their second baby, by the yeah. way. Yeah. So the Red Wings, even though, like, let's say it's a four-piece deal. You're looking at a first, uh, a good roster, good young roster player, and two good prospects. Every team can offer that, but the Red Wings have the position where they can be just a little bit better in each of those slots because the Red Wings first round pick going to be a little better than New Jersey's Jonathan Bergeron, probably a little better than Dawson Mercer, the Red Wings third best prospect, probably better than, you know, X team's third, uh, second best prospect. So they have a reality where they could do this, but again, it comes down to, does this make sense? If San Jose is asking for two first round picks in like, you know, Marco Casper, of course you're not going to do that, but it it all comes down to what the other teams are offering and are the Red Wings even in on it? Before I say my piece on on what Eisman should do and, and comfortable, comfortability with the trade deadline, I just want to acknowledge that this Red Wings team has done so much in terms of getting themselves back into the playoff conversation that Brad and Evan, of their own accord, it's not like I seeded the conversation, just had a very realistic conversation, discussion about what it would t- take to get premier elite trade piece Timo Meyer. I'm not, there's no joke in there. That is where we are at. I want you to think about that compared to every other trade deadline conversation we've had for the last however many seasons. Compare that to the trade deadline conversation we had two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so here's where I'm at. And I'm, I'm dying to get in the Meyer discussion, but I think you, you both covered it. So I just want to talk about where I'm at based on how the Red Wings have done and what Eisman has. Brad, I think you're right. I think what we are likely heading towards is that it's quiet. But in terms of where the Red Wings have pulled themselves up into, barring anything changing wildly over the next few games, uh, I mean, the next four games could, of course, swing the, the pendulum so firmly the other way. But if it stays as is, I'm comfortable with Eisman not selling pieces, like you said, Brad, that aren't going to fetch a significant or like, undeniably impactful return. And I'm talking first round pick value ish in and around there. If someone's going to come in and overpay for, you know, a pew suitor, or they're going to come in and overpay for Kublik, do I think it would be preferable to have those guys as depth for Detroit? If they're genuinely making a push? Yes. You take the overpayments, but in general, if no one wants to overpay, then I'm very comfortable with Eisman keeping them and, and not moving them out just for the sake of moving them out. I still have not sold myself personally on you keep Tyler Bertuzzi without thinking that you can sign him for any period of time. That one to me is just on the other side of the line. I think the only way in my mind that I'm really comfortable with keeping Tyler Bertuzzi and then he walks in free agency or you sell his rights for on the cheap uh, after the season is if the, the best offer for him is like a second round pick or something. Because if you pass up on a second round pick, but then you get that playoff series... I'm sorry. 
I know you're going, I'm going off pure emotion while I'm saying this, but I'm not really ashamed to say it. I'm in for that. Well, no, there, there is value. There is. To not trading Tyler Bertuzzi. And it's, it's very easy to write off intangibles. And we've said on this podcast a billion times, intangibles are overrated. And I still believe that, but it's not entirely invaluable. Again, Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, Joe Valeno, Jonathan Berggren, assuming we don't get Timo Meyer. Um, <laughs> them, even Philip Ronick has never played a playoff game. If they get into the playoffs this year, get waxed by the Bruins, they know now what to expect next year when this team is better, when this team is maybe starting to creep up on a divisional playoff seed, when they're in the conversation of, hey, as the first wildcard seed, could they knock off New Jersey or Carolina and people aren't laughing at the idea? Because as hyped as we are for the Red Wings to make the playoffs this year potentially and as much fun as we should have with this run, we all know how this ends, barring an absolute miracle, right? If Anything all, can happen, but... But there is value to getting there. There is value to learning that sooner rather than later. There is value to Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider playing more playoff games because every game of experience adds up to the games later in your career. So if they don't play their first playoff game for three years and all of a sudden we're in the quote-unquote contention window and now they're just learning what playoff hockey is, that's an uphill battle. If they're going into that year three, four contention window with, we'll call it 12 playoff games under their belt, that it, there is value to that. And that's what you have to keep in mind at this trade deadline. And again, what is that value relative to what you could get for your players? If Dallas is sitting there going, holy shit, we need Tyler Bertuzzi, we will give you Logan Stankovin. Steve Eisenman is out of his damn mind if he passes that up. If there's no plane, we're taking a road trip. Exactly. But if like Dallas is going, yeah, we'll give you pick pick 28 is what we think we're going to get. And Eisenman's like, "Ah, I don't know if that's worth it. And okay, yeah, very, very logical decision to keep Tyler Bertuzzi and gain the experience. The important thing is we're all going to have our opinions of where the intangible value ends and the tangible assets start where you're comfortable putting that grocery stick. Our opinion doesn't matter. It's where Eiserman's going to draw that, draw that line. I think no matter what you can definitely say though, for even the most pessimistic folks, that grocery stick has been moved. Like it, yeah. it, the Red Wings have forced the hands of even the most firm. This rebuild is still not over people they, they have won themselves into a position where you have to understand the meaning. Forget the meaning of the, the experience for the players. Forget the meaning of the revenue. This means something for fans, man. Like it is every year at April, I say the same thing. I've said the same thing since the Red Wings stopped making the playoffs is I miss playoff hockey. It is genuinely the best spectacle in sports in my mind. And if your team is in it, you do not care. You don't play that first round series thinking, oh, we're going to get waxed and we just hope we win a game. We You just want to show up to the dance and see what happens. That's right. Eisenman talked on, on the, the interview with Walsh and, and Adam Wilde. He was saying when I it was my first year as GM of Tampa Bay and our plan was, well, this team has a ways to go, so we're going to keep all of our draft picks and we're not going to really go out and do anything. But the team put themselves in a playoff spot around deadline. They went and they spent like a middle round pick or a third round pick or something on Eric Brewer. They played a Pittsburgh team that was 
banged up all at the top. They Crosby and Malcolm were injured, and then they ended up uh, going to the what was it Game Seven of the Conference Finals. Obviously, that's you can't reliably reproduce that every time, but that is a yeah, anything can happen. Remember, Peter Mrazek almost single handedly took out the Tampa Bay Lightning as they were entering the height of their powers. The Detroit Red Wings in 2013 almost upset the Chicago Blackhawks, who ended up going on to win the Stanley Cup. And I don't think that happens if Danny DeKaiser doesn't break his thumb. Like proper it, refing in game six, and it might not even get to the game seven. It, and what was it, Seabrook, a deflection off a foot that went in? It literally seven direct, over, it yeah, deflected yeah. off Cronwall. Like yeah. game seven overtime against the Stanley Cup champs. May I remind everybody too, if, and again, I'm, I don't know why we do this to ourselves. I know, because I'm going to, I just said, that the Red Wings will get absolutely pumped by whoever they play in the first round if they make it this year. And I genuinely believe that's like 98% chance. Mm -hmm. But the Red Wings' third line, when they took the eventual Stanley Cup champions to Game 7 overtime in Round 2, was a rookie Gustav Nyquist, Joachim Anderson, and Damian Bruner. Damn. That that was the third line. That's a, that's a time warp. You know what? That is both a testament to the statement you're making, Brad, yes, but it also Damian Brunner was one of the hottest flashes in the pan I've ever seen in the modern era of the Red Wings. That guy was something else for just a little bit. <laughs> just a short window of time. Oh, it was that that whole year was just weird. <laughs> uh that is a lot on the Red Wings playoff chances. If you listen to all of that and thought that's a lot of optimism and this could all go away and they could lose, you know, four nothing to New York. Trust us. We know, but what we've learned over years of really painful rebuilding. And, and I, I want to close the, the main topics with this is uh, we've preached a lot about the, the rebuild, not being linear and growth being incremental. And you don't just get good players and win overnight. You need to learn how to win and you need to get the good players. And those two things don't always happen in concert. So something that I've learned personally, and I think we've learned on this podcast is recognizing that just because success is unlikely and just because success isn't perfect and it doesn't always come when you expect it to, or silly as it is to say, need it to, doesn't mean that you shouldn't celebrate it. So if you're a fan, do not, I, I will say, enjoy the ride. Don't feel guilty. I think Eisenman is in a position, he's in a precarious position for sure, but he's in one where either way, they are going to walk away with a much better team this year than folks expected and positioned to hopefully do even better next season. And and who knows what they can make happen be, between now and April. So I'm personally thrilled that the Red Wings have turned this around and that it wasn't the somber closing out of the year that we thought was coming Detroit's way. So before we get to overtime here, uh, I just have a, a note. Uh, we received a message from um, Dylan Rosen, who's uh, not just a listener of the podcast, but uh, the son-in-law of the now late Paul Gerard. Um, Paul uh, passed away, unfortunately, last Thursday um, and is one of the uh, most respected names uh, across the NHL and in the world of hockey. Uh, he was one of the first black coaches in the NHL. Uh, he was an assistant coach, uh, for a few different stints across the league, Calgary Flames, Dallas Stars, and the Colorado Avalanche going back to 02 or 03. Um, again, the outpouring of support and the kind words that have been, uh, uh coming through the, the hockey world, uh, demonstrates Paul Gerard's impact wherever he went, um, has an incredible story growing up as a son of, uh, an immigrant family in Winnipeg, uh, and then, you know, his impact in the AHL and, 
the NHL and uh, I believe it was um, Nebraska Omaha for f- for a few seasons as well. So uh, there's no shortage of uh, of coaches, players, peers, colleagues that have uh, talked about what Paul Gerard meant to them. So uh, we just want to take a moment to recognize him and, and offer our thoughts and, and condolences to the family, friends, and loved ones of Paul Gerard. Okay. Uh, just a quick uh, reminder of what's coming up. Sunday, for better or worse, is planned to be our trade deadline primer episode. And then we don't know how the week is going to go. So our original plan was Sunday episode and then Friday trade deadline coverage online all day. And then we record an episode right after, which means nothing midweek. That may change. Uh, that is very much up to Steve Eisenman and the rest of the NHL. If you're thinking, have you three fools learned nothing? You're going to put your time and fate in the hands of Steve Eisenman. And it's like, well, no, we haven't. So that's what we're doing. That's why we're keeping it flexible. So yes. there, there may or may not be a Wednesday episode yeah. next week. So stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod if you don't already. We're almost at 20,000 followers, actually. Um, and uh, you'll get updates from there um, and follow our three accounts. That they're listed in the, the description of the bio of the, the podcast. Um we are going to bring you content as content comes up. That's that's what's going to happen here. For now, let's jump into Overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. A few benefits. The Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord. Not only is it a wonderful community, we are making it a little bit more organized and using all the great features of Discord to make that better every day. Uh, I have to ban Evan from the Formula One off-topic subreddit because you went in there. It was in other sports. I was very very confused why that's a sport. Troll, you goblin, stay out of there. Uh, Secondly, you get entered into all giveaways that we do automatically. Uh, We are giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority of them going directly to Patreon supporters. Uh, and third, you get access to our uh, Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes that we record right after these ones. Last one was 32 minutes. It was a blast. I, it was completely deranged and off the hook, which is how they usually are. So uh, we hope you enjoy those, and uh, that's a benefit for our patrons as well. So patreon.com slash podcast. All right, plenty of questions this time. We're going to take uh, some from Patreon, some from Reddit as well, because we didn't get those uh, last time. Uh, let's start with Coyote season tickets and Tempe says to what degree is Steve Eisenman a victim of his own success? He's essentially put himself in no man's land with Larkin and Bertuzzi. While I don't think he'll lose them both for nothing. There's a real possibility that could happen. Even if it happens with one of them, it would be incredibly sad. Well, he does control his own destiny a little bit. Bertuzzi is a little more fluid, but Larkin has told him his price. If Eisenman truly runs out of options, he could just come up to to Larkin's price, right? Again, he, now that is not something Eisenman has shown to do in the past. So yeah, but but the option is always on the table. You also have to understand how much of this is coming from the baseline of Raymond and Sider, which yeah, Eisenman did draft them, and so yeah, you're right. He's suffering from his own success on that front. Um, but I think there's only so bad the Red Wings could have been this year. If he didn't go in and bring Perron and Kopp and Mata and, and Huso in, yeah, the Red Wings would have been worse off, but I still don't think they would have been bottom of the league. That's not what uh, the commenter here is, is stating, just to, in fairness to them, but um, yeah, you, you don't get into this spot accidentally. I think this, yeah, it's fair to say Eisman is a victim of his own success, but if you asked him, he would say, I'm not a victim. It's, you want to be good. This is the kind of issue you want to have. Uh, this is a funny one from Simon says 27 says, uh, I've gotten my dad to start listening to the pod. 
uh, as he inspired my love for the wings. And I can say that he now refers to Olimata as offensive dynamo Olimata. So thank you for that. <laughs> my coworker who is new to watching hockey is confused who I'm referring to when I say Rage Thompson. Thank you for the entertainment. I am always so excited and so disappointed when our bullshit makes it out of this room. That is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> The, the random, uh, either lack of or over caffeination fueled, uh, s- verbal spew that comes into these mics makes it anywhere in the world is it, it's remarkable to me, but, uh, thank you so much to Simon says 27's dad for tuning in. Uh, and, and we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Aaron says with suitor so hot lately, do you guys think you could be a potential trade piece? It seems like we can get good value relatively speaking while still not disrupting our lines too much. What do you think of the way wi- the wings could get in return? The reality is not much. Um, you know, Suter does seem like a, a good sell high candidate right now because he's playing at a pretty, not unsustainable pace. Like, let's not forget, he was a half a point per game in Chicago, uh, roughly, uh, playing a much bigger role there than he is in Detroit right now. But, I mean, circling back to our conversation not that long ago, it's not worth it trading off core pieces. And I like, you know, I use the term core loosely here, but it's not worth selling off pieces for like a third, fourth, fifth round pick at this point. I don't think a team's even going to consider giving up a second round pick for him, which is about where you would need to be to consider it. I would think. Yeah. There's a possibility for sure. And, and suitors doing the right things at the right time to get someone to notice. But I agree with Brett. I think I set the price relatively high. Just because Suter plays, if you are going to try to make a run of it, he plays an important role in the depth. You don't want to lose guys who can play center. Uh, that's hard, as we've known as Red Wings fans for quite some time. Uh, Patrick J says, I don't think we should buy anything aside from maybe Meyer. However, I wouldn't mind seeing Jensen as a rental uh, as third pair right defenseman. What do you guys think it would take to get him? Probably not much. That's a rental I would actually not be opposed to at all. Yeah. Yeah, again, you're you're just filling in the gaps. Like, you look at the Red Wings roster right now, they're pretty set down the left side of the D, so you're not getting a rental there. Yeah, Robert Hag, Jordan Osterley, Gustav Lindstrom have been platooning kind of that, that 6D spot on the right side, so if you, Nick Jensen would make a ton of sense there. Um, it's probably the only spot on the roster where any kind of rental makes any sense. Um, but again, would Washington let him go for a fourth or a fifth round pick? Probably not, and that would be in the range where I would be if I was the Red Wings. Dump. Nope, not reading that one. Uh, something, something. <laughs> insider, as in Mo Sider, says, new patron here. Love the podcast. Well, you're, thank you for being a name-level sponsor. I so appreciate your support. You're off to a hot start because you got you were that close to getting me. Says, uh, I'm interested in what you guys think of the Patrick Kane situation. Okay, first, did you see that? absolute rock star shit slap shot goal at the buzzer that just barely got disallowed. Oh yeah. I have Love never, adv- I, I am loath to celebrate the Chicago Blackhawks at all, but if there's ever something that should have been allowed just because of how damn cool it was, it was that slapper with 0.01 left or so we thought. Uh, with him having total control over his trade destination and his preferred destination seemingly done making moves, has Chicago overplayed their hands? No, they haven't overplayed their hand. He hasn't let them play their hand yet. Because every report is he doesn't know what he wants to do. He doesn't know what he wants to do. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And he's got a full no move. So Chicago has to bend to his requests. I think he very much was open to New York. And I think he is very much open to a couple other teams. He's probably thinking about Edmonton from everything that's been reported. 
playing next to Connor McDavid's not a bad prospect. Um, if the Wings keep winning up until the deadline and end up being the only team with cap space to take him, does Chicago take our two 2023 second rounders for him just to salvage some assets? Assuming Kane's okay with the deal. If I'm Detroit, I'm not offering that. I don't, even I don't though think that's, I offer that. even though that is very fair value, like that's a great deal for rental Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane does not get the Red Wings to Stanley Cup. And again, as much as I've said my piece about the value of making the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they're not going to win the cup. And you do not acquire a Patrick Kane and give up multiple premium assets to not win a cup. No offense. I don't think Patrick Kane wants to come to Detroit. No, he wants to go to a, a cup-winning situation. He wants to go to the Rangers. He wants to go to Vegas, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Andy Fortier also asked about Nick Jensen for credit. Uh, we also weren't able to get to the Reddit comments last episode, so we'll take a few Reddit comments this episode. Uh, first one from Detroit Rob says, would Bertuzzi staying put and allowing the team to gain playoff experience from players to coaches with likely losing him to free to see be more or less valuable than trading him to gain assets and lose out on making the playoffs. Only Larkin with five games has any playoff experience in a Wings uniform from 2016. So yeah, as we talked about, it just depends on where you have that grocery stick. It depends on what you're passing up for Bertuzzi. If you're passing up, you know, as Brad said, and I don't think this is the case, but like a Logan Stankovin or like a first round pick that is... uh, has a little extra zhuzh to it, for example. Maybe a little fringy playoff team. Then that one... I don't think I'm personally okay with with passing up on that, but if you're passing up on a second and a middling prospect, you know it's certainly not a a, a black and white ordeal. Uh, but you can understand Eisenman not doing that. Would uh, the Red Wings ever do a deal with one of the teams they're competing with? I think for so. A playoff spot. I think Let's so. say if Buffalo's like we're going for it. Whatever, we're putting the pedal down. We'll give you a first and something for Tyler Bertuzzi, whatever. You think they would do that deal? Uh, uh, Buffalo's yeah, first, which will yeah. be around pick 15 to 20. Absolutely, you they have would to. do that. Yeah, uh, I'm just totally spitballing a trade out of there, off the, literally off the top of my head. If they're going to overpay to do it, because they would have to, because that every team in the league charges more for those competing around them or who have geographical rivalries, Um if they want to overpay, I think Eisenman does that. That's part of being in, in that purgatory. You're not just a buyer where, you know, the Rangers aren't going to deal with the Devils right now. Yeah, They're not there. Eisenman will say, oh, great. I'll do this, and then we'll win a bunch and keep you out of the playoffs. Win-win. Yep. Uh, Let's Kill Time also asked about what does Eisenman do, and Sea Lion 22 um, also mentions uh, Bertuzzi and the risk behind letting him go. So very obvious where the fan base's mind is here. This one uh, came in from a few different people. Um, one-handed Wonder and, and many others says, question for Evan. Oh, God. Build your perfect bowl or burrito from Chipotle so I can try it too. You're asking me? Yeah. Are you not a big like bowl burrito person? Not really. What? I mean, I like them, but it's not where I'm going for fast food or something. I'm a burger guy. That's kind of surprising. A bowl, though? I'd take a burrito or a bowl over a fast food burger any day. I'll do some rice, some refried beans. Okay. Uh, a little bit of jalapeno, some pico. Um, I'm, you know, the whatever protein I want, it really is whatever I'm feeling that day. If your fine establishment offers buffalo chicken, you have a customer. I'll, I'll get in on that. Yeah. I'm big on uh, steak, though. If if they're this, it's just the standard options. Steak is good. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go with that too. Yeah, right. we had, I think, four or five different people. Oh, Old Colonel asked about mine. Um, this one from Well Paid Scientist says, of all the summer additions to the lineup, whom do you most hope we can keep in Detroit for the next four to five years? Uh, well. Of all the summer additions? So I guess you kind of got to factor in age and everything with that. Billy Huso. It's Billy Huso, right? It's definitely Billy Huso. Uh, that's that's too obvious of an answer, so I'll say Olimata. And boy, do I have Jake some good news. Do I? Does he doesn't count though? No, he's, no, he's lost trade deadline. Eh, yeah. yeah, it was still cold out after that. Doesn't count as summer. Uh, Wingnut seventeen, and there's plenty of great questions here. Apologies, Wingnut seventeen says, "What forward in the pipeline do you see having a Bergeron or possibly Raymond type impact his rookie season?" I think Mazer in twenty twenty four. Like obviously, if we're not counting Marco Casper, yeah, Mazer's the next best answer there. I would think. I would think, yeah, Mazer's a good answer. I would say don't discount Casper and honestly don't discount Edvinson because giving Edvinson time to... Oh, for counting defensemen, then yes, yeah, obviously. Yeah, like obviously it's it's not apples to apples playing defense, but I think if he really continues on the path that he's on in Grand Rapids with like fine-tuning his game, kind of think of that season as what Mo Sider did in the SHL this season before he came over. Um, obviously because he had to go back and play over there. I I, I genuinely think that there's... A possibility Edmondson could come in and do really, really well. Uh, let's take one more here from, we'll go back to Patreon. Uh, as good as it gets says, Hey guys, we all know uh, about salary, re- salary retention on a trade, but can you trade just a piece of a contract to someone or could a team in theory trade a player to a team in January, let them play a game or two, then receive the same player back and trade with part of the salary retained? No. Short answer, no. Long answer, definitely not. No, the team, like the league would absolutely uh, nix that. They wouldn't let it happen. I'm pretty sure it's written into the CBA. Yes. Uh, you would have to, like, there are ways to get salary retained, uh, but you can't just trade away a piece of a contract. And the trading a player just to get him back right after and just qualifying for a game, the, the league wouldn't let you do that, unfortunately. I do like the... The idea. Would you want the league to go in a direction where you could just trade pieces of salary? Absolutely not. Oh, for a, a guy who's been a fan of a team with so much. It sounds cash. like Wall Street bets. <laughs> <laughs> no, because if you can just trade just cap, that's that defeats the purpose of a salary cap. That's how you end up with super teams. You turn the NHL into the NBA. Oh, so maybe I do like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Again, we're going to be back with you on Sunday for our trade deadline primer and whatever the hell else has happened between now and then. Uh, Again, be sure to bid on the auction for the Red Wings experience. The link is in the description and get your tickets to Winged Wheel Podcast night slash day at the LCA, Saturday, April 8th, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. To all of our Patreon supporters, Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all of our listeners, new and old, we really appreciate you tuning in. Our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation. Akefer, Bertuzzi's Missing Tooth. Nick Perks, uh, Icon, Terry Driver, the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannes Banana, Simon Jemithong. Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donohue, Johnny Burgers, Meals on Wheels. Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee. Ariel Rojo, Babe Landeskog, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Joseph Berry, 
Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edlin, Nadelkovic, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, Patreon, The Person, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Antonio Gracias, Ben Barron, noted Philip Zadina Whisperer and proud member of the Jake Wilman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, C.J. Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Derek Darren Fick, uh, <laughs> our new name level sponsor, something something insider, Philip Zadiz Nuts, George's biggest fan, uh, Grand Rapids hockey guy, Griffey Boy, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz. Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, Tatar Sauce, The Hodag, and finally, my favorite patron, Matt Keeler. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you someday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.